Can we just bless the Lord one more time? Just thank Him for His presence. I don't know about you, but it's good to know that when I come into God's house, God's here. Doesn't ask us to come alone. He reminds us that when two or three of us are gathered in His name, there He is. There He is in the midst of them. And I'm just thankful that God's here in our midst tonight because the last thing I want to do is stand up here on my own in my own wisdom, my own strength, my own knowledge. I need the Holy Spirit. Amen. And so do you. Now, before I go to the Lord in prayer, I'm just going to do a little introduction because over the last few weeks, you know what our schedule's been like. I've been here. I've been not here. We've had guest speakers, all sorts of different things going on. To be honest with you, I struggled for a little while figuring out where do you want me to go, God? Where do you want me to go next? And I really don't have the time to get into how God brought me here and how he confirmed it. But I know with all of my heart that this is what God wants me to speak and this is the direction He wants me to go. And during this series, maybe I'll relate that to you, but I know that this is where God wants and this is what I'm just going to be obedient to Him and do. So the the message this evening is the first in a series of sermons entitled, Words from the Cross. I want to look at seven phrases or statements that were either uttered or shouted or whispered or even cried out by Jesus from Calvary's cross. The first of which were the words, Father, forgive them, which we will look at in just a moment. But before we do, how many of you know that that's what the cross is all about? Amen. It's all about forgiveness. It's all about mercy. It's all about grace. It's all about the fact that he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. It's all about him being punished for our sins so that we could have peace with God. Amen. It's all about forgiveness. And the reality is, if we want to grow in grace like Peter encourages us to do in 2 Peter 3.18, then we needn't look no farther than Calvary's cross. Because the cross of Christ is the ultimate symbol of grace. Amen. It's the ultimate symbol of mercy and the ultimate symbol of forgiveness. And I'm not just talking about any old cross. I'm talking about the cross of Jesus Christ. Please understand the Roman roadside was filled with crosses and crucifixions that people were able to behold every single day. But the only one that had the power to forgive, the only cross that had the power to restore and redeem us was the cross of Jesus Christ. It's the only cross that makes a difference in your life and the only cross that makes a difference in my life. You see, it's not the cross that we wear around the neck that has the power to do anything in your life. It's not the cross that we wear on the back of a t-shirt or on the front of a t-shirt. It's not the cross that we wear around our wrist. It's not this cross right here that you see behind me or hanging in any other church building. It is only through the cross of Jesus Christ that you and I have forgiveness. It's only through the cross of Jesus Christ that you and I can receive mercy And you and I can receive grace. Amen. How many of you are thankful for the cross of Jesus Christ? You see, it's from that cross where Jesus cried out, Father, forgive them. 
And that's what I want to look at this evening. It's where I want to go in the next few weeks as we look at the words of Jesus Christ from Calvary's cross. But first, we're going to pray and ask God to anoint me and you. Amen. Father God, I thank you that you are in this house this evening. I thank you for the opportunity to stand here, Father, behind this pulpit. I never take it lightly. I confess my ultimate need for your presence, for your power, for your anointing, and for your Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would do that this evening, God, that your spirit would rest upon me and rise up within me. That the words that would come forth tonight, Father God, would be your words, Lord God, that you would bring to my remembrance all the things that you've sown into my spirit, that you would stir up my soul, God, and that you allow me to bring forth the seeds of salvation, God, words of encouragement and hope and whatever it else is that you want to sow into the lives of your people. Come against every hindering spirit. Come against every distraction or disruption. Come against the cares of the day, Father God, that would try to wrap themselves around our soul. All of the worries that would try to fill our hearts this evening. I pray that you would just open us up, Father God, to your words and let your will be done in this house tonight. We give you the praise and the glory and all of God's people said, Amen. I'm... Starting this series because I believe as Christians, we should always be mindful of the cross. Amen. No matter where we might be in our faith, no matter how long we've been saved, no matter to what heights we feel we might have arisen to within the, the house of God or the family of God, no matter how spiritually mature we might think we are, we should ever be mindful of Calvary's cross. We should always be mindful of the central theme of our salvation and the, the central theme of our faith, which is the cross of Jesus Christ, because it's all about Calvary, church. It's not about your good works and my good works. It's not about our good deeds. It's not about the denomination. It's not about how many ministries we're involved in. It's all about the cross of Jesus Christ. It's the cross of Christ that makes us something. Amen. It's through the cross of Christ that we receive the anointing. It's through the cross of Christ that we receive grace and mercy and, and hear what we'll learn tonight. Forgiveness that allows us access to God. It's all about Calvary's cross. How many of you know without the cross we would still be dead in our sins? Without the cross, we would still be living under judgment and living under wrath and living under condemnation, church. Without the cross, we would still be wandering in darkness. Without the cross, we'd still be lost. We'd still be blind. We'd still be sinking and we'd still be stinking in our sin. Amen. Without the cross, we wouldn't be here this evening. We'd still be walking in our own ways and doing what's right in our own eyes and living under the condemnation and the wrath of God, like I said. But because of Calvary's cross, because of the cross of Jesus Christ, we can now have life and have life more abundantly. Amen. Because of the cross, I am a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have become new because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Because of the cross, we are saved from sin and death and darkness. And we are now considered children of light, all because of the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, the truth is the cross should always be at the center of our faith. The cross should always be at the center of our praise. Without the cross, you've got no praise. 
Without the cross, we've got no worship. Without the cross, we've got no testimony. Without the cross, we've got no song. So listen to me. When we come into the house of God and lift up the hand and clap our hands and begin to open our mouth, the cross of Jesus Christ should always be at the center of our clap and the center of our shout and the center of our amen. It should always be at the center of everything we offer up to God. Because without the cross, we would be nothing. Without the cross of Jesus Christ, we would still be instruments destined for destruction. But because of the cross of Jesus Christ, we have a song tonight, amen? We have a testimony, and that's what we always have to remember. The, the, the cross should always be at the center of our prayers. The cross should always be at the center of our thoughts. The cross should always be at the center of our heart. The cross should always be at the center of our marriage should always be at the center of our family. The cross should be at the center of everything we do as sons and daughters of the Most High God. The cross of Jesus Christ should be front and center of everything we do in our Christian life. I'm going to preach a sermon sometime when God lets me do it, but there used to be a book called, Who Moved the Cheese? It was a motivational book for businessmen, and I used to be out there in the world, but the title of my message is, I don't care about who moved the cheese, I care about who moved the cross. And the reality is, somewhere in the Christian faith and in the family of God, the cross of Jesus Christ has been moved aside, and other things have come in and occupied the main attraction of the Christian life. We've got to get the cross of Jesus Christ right back into the middle of every single thing we do. Because that's where Christ deserves to be. Amen? It's at the cross of Christ where our sins were separated from us. As far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered again. It was actually in the tomb and you know the whole thing. But it all started at the cross, church. It's where sin was conquered and the devil was defeated once and for all. It all started at Calvary's cross. And if the cross is that central to our faith... If it's that central to, to our Christian life, if the cross is that important, if the cross is that crucial to our faith, then so would the words of Jesus be as He hung on that cross. Amen? And so that's why I want to look at those seven phrases of Jesus as He hung on Calvary's cross over the next few weeks. I want to look at the words of Jesus as he hung on Calvary's cross. Over the centuries, there has been debates as to the order of the words that were spoken by Jesus as he hung on that cross, but I wasn't there and neither were you. So I'm going to use the most commonly agreed upon order of words that most theologians believe Jesus spoke. I don't know if the order is that important or that crucial, but I'm going to follow it Because I believe there is some importance. And therefore, the first words that we're going to look at in this series are the words, Father, forgive them. To me, these are the most powerful and life-transforming words that could ever be spoken over our lives. Three words that offered us hope. Three words that had the power to conquer every sin that would ever be committed by you or me or anyone else on this earth. Father, forgive them. I've taken this message from Luke 23, 32 to 34, and it says this. Two other men 
both criminals were also let out with him, meaning Jesus, to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, as well as the other two criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Now, it's going to take me a little while to actually get to the words that were spoken by Jesus in this passage because we first have to understand what's going on here. I know we've heard all about the stories of the cross and the crucifixion, but I believe we have to have a better understanding of the cross and the crucifixion in order to fully understand and comprehend the power of the words that Jesus spoke as He hung on that cross, as He was suspended between heaven and earth. And when they came to the place called the skull, the Bible says, they crucified Him with one criminal on the right and the other on the left. And there was Jesus, the precious, spotless, blameless Son of God, right in the middle. There was Jesus, who the Bible called the precious Lamb of God, the innocent one, hanging on the center cross, which was reserved for the worst of the offenders. It was reserved for the worst of the worst, the least of the least. And that's where Jesus Christ hung. And it was from this very place of shame. It was from this very place of condemnation that Jesus cries out to me the most important words of all. Father, forgive them. With three words, He offered us a brand new start. With three words, old things passed away and all things became new. With three words, sin was conquered once and for all. Father, forgive them. In my opinion, these three words are the foundational phrase of our faith because it all starts with forgiveness, church. It's why Jesus went to the cross, was to forgive us. Behold the precious Lamb of God, Paul says, as Jesus entered into His public ministry. Behold the precious Lamb of God that came to take away the sins of the world. It all begins on Calvary's cross, church. It's all about forgiveness. But in order to understand these words, we have to understand that the cross was the most despicable place for any man to be found. The cross represented the absolute worst that could be found in a man. It was the epitome of corruption. It represented everything wrong and everything unrighteous and everything evil and everything foul and everything filthy and everything unclean and everything unrighteous that could ever be found in the heart and the lives of men. It was the most unspiritual, the most irreligious object that could ever be associated with our faith. I know we put Jesus up on the cross and we put glowy lights all around it when we so often, we we soften up the, the image of the cross, but the cross was a despicable place to be. There was nothing religious, there was nothing reverent about the cross at all, church. And we need to understand that to understand the power of the words that Jesus spoke when He said, Father, forgive them. There was nothing pretty about Calvary's cross. It was ugly. It was despicable. It was corrupt, church. The reality is it was a filthy and corrupt place, a place of extreme dishonor and humiliation and shame. 
For the Jews and the Gentiles alike, a crucified person was as low and despised as could possibly be. The Romans actually used the phrase, damnatio ad bestias, when referring to somebody that was hanging on the cross. When they were referring to someone that was sentenced to be crucified. And what it meant was, this individual was condemned to the death of a beast. Condemned to the death of an animal. So in the eyes of the Jews, grasp this. In the eyes of the Gentiles, these three men, the two criminals and Jesus, weren't fit to live. In the eyes of the Jews and the Gentiles, these three men, including Jesus, who were sentenced to be crucified, weren't even fit to be treated as human beings. They were no more than wild animals deserving death. That's how despicable the cross was. That's how despised any individual was that that hung upon any kind of cross in the Roman Empire. That's who the cross was reserved for. It was reserved for the vilest of men. And yet the sinless Son of God willingly went there for you and for me and for all of mankind. Being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, if you understood the disgrace And the dishonor that was associated with the cross, we would better understand this. It wasn't just death, it was death on the cross. It was the most despicable death that that a man could encounter or go through in the Roman Empire in the New Testament times. It was not anything that anyone would want associated with them, church. Even death on a cross. The reality is Paul used those words, even death on a cross, because the death... Because the cross was the most despicable, inhumane type of punishment there was. And it was meant to be that way on purpose. It was designed to be that way because of what the cross represented and who the cross represented. The reality is the cross represented the absolute worst of humanity. And as I go through this study, we'll discover that it brought out the worst in humanity as well. The cross was deliberately intended to be obscene. The cross was intended to be disgusting. It was intended to be repulsive. It was intended to be filthy. It was intended to be foul and as loathsome as could possibly be because it was reserved for the scourge of society. It was reserved for the worst of the worst. It was reserved for those who weren't fit to live according to what they say. It was reserved for those who weren't fit to be treated like human beings, but rather like beasts, wild animals. And Jesus was the one hanging in the middle of them all. In a civilized society like we're living today, it's almost impossible to fathom the depravity of the cross. But for those in the New Testament times, the crucifixion or any crucifixion was commonplace. It was common understanding. It was a common event. It was a common sight. It was a common experience, church. Everybody in Jesus' day had seen men crucified all along the roadside of the Roman Empire. Everyone knew what what a crucifixion looked like. Everyone from young to old knew what a crucifixion smelled like. 
Everyone from young to old understood it was commonplace. They understood what a, what a crucifixion sounded like. It wasn't odd to them. It wasn't uncommon to them. It might be to us, but everyone was familiar with the horrific sight of a completely naked man hanging in full view of everyone. Please understand these individuals, including Jesus Christ, who were hanging on a cross, who were crucified, would hang there for hours or even days still alive. They couldn't get down to go to the restroom. So here in full view, in full sight, hanging naked on a cross, this place of shame and condemnation, they would defecate in public view. They would urinate in public view. This is how disgusting the cross was. This is how defiled the cross was. This is how ugly and unclean and, uh, and just horrible the cross was. Even the cross that Jesus Christ hung upon. Everyone was familiar with crucifixion in the New Testament church. They were familiar with the sounds of the groans and the labored breathing that would go on for hours, would go on for sometimes days. And the reality is sometimes, depending on where that crucifixion took place, whether it was three or one or four or five before you could even come into visual contact with those who were being crucified, you could smell the stench. You could hear the groanings echoing down the roadside as they labored for a breath, as they groaned and agonized in suffering, pain, and anguish. Before you could even behold them, you could smell and hear them. And it was a common thing. But worst of all, no one cared. Read the Scripture yourself. No one cared. All of this took place wide open in the public arena, and no one cared. It was commonplace. Lamentations 1.12 speaks to the crucifixion, and it says that as they passed by, it was nothing to them. It says they all passed by, and it was nothing to them. It's nothing. Laboring. To breathe, crying out, screaming in pain. And it was nothing to them, the Bible says. No one cared. It didn't move them to pity. It didn't move them to empathy. It didn't move them to concern. It actually moved them to their own evil impulses. And I'll explain Again, to understand the depths of Christ's words of forgiveness, we have to realize that the purpose of pinning these people to a cross, like someone might pin an insect to a board, was actually designed to bring out the worst in the passers-by. The individuals in the New Testament times, the, the individuals in the... In, that would wander the roadside understood that it was their role to actually make the suffering even worse for the individual hanging on the cross. They understood that it was their responsibility to spit as they went by, to jeer at them and mock them and ridicule them and throw handfuls of mud or anything else upon those who were crucified on a cross. 
It brought out the, the worst impulses of the, the human beings that would walk by. And the reality is it made the passersby even act like animals. Brought out the worst. Please understand, this is what the cross represents. It represents filthiness. It represents depravity. It represents the worst of the worst that could ever be found inside the heart of man. And yet it was from this place of disgust and dishonor that the Son of God, the innocent, blameless, without fault Son of God, cried out His first three words, Father, forgive them. It was from this very place of shame that He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them for they don't know the depths of their despair. They don't know the depths of their depravity. Forgive them because they don't understand the darkness that's dwelling in their heart. They don't know what they are doing, church. And what these words suggest to me is that those who crucified Him those who beat Him and battered Him and bruised Him, those who walked by and ridiculed Him, those who beat Him, those who shoved the the crown of thorns down upon His head, those who tacked up a, a mockery sign and put it above Him. King of the Jews! What that tells me, church, these words that He cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It reminds me, or at least suggests to me, That those individuals that were part of the crucifixion were in the grasp of something they didn't understand. They were in the grasp of some type of evil that they could not fully comprehend. And what I want you to understand is that this world is filled with individuals who do not understand that they are in the grips of something evil. They're in the grasp of something so wicked, and yet they do not understand it. It's why Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. There's a world out there that's going to hell in a handbasket, and they don't realize what they're doing. They don't realize they're grieving the Father. They don't realize they're going down a road that's destined for destruction. They don't realize the the, the depravity that's oozing out of their life. The reality is this world and our little world that we each live in individually, whether it be at the workplace or in your home or in a carpool or anywhere else, your little world is filled with individuals who are in the grasp of something they cannot comprehend. They don't understand the evil that's working in the soil of their soul. They don't understand the grip of the enemy. They don't understand the works and the, and the tools of the devil. They don't understand that he's out to destroy them, church. And it's from this place that Jesus cries out, this cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You see, the reality is, this isn't part of my notes, and I'm not going to take a long time to dwell on it. But there will be times in your life where you are beaten and battered and bruised by others like Jesus was beaten, battered, and bruised. There's times that you will be dis- er, spitefully used. 
There's times that individuals will release evil against your life. There's times where they will just descend upon you with darkness and they will disappoint you and they will break your heart and they will hurt you desperately. And it's in those moments of time that we must remember these words and be able to say like Jesus Christ, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They don't understand what's operating in their heart. They don't understand what's taking control of their soul. But we do. And that's why we need to allow the light of Christ to shine into that dark place. It's why we need to allow the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ be at the center of our conversation. That's why I said earlier, the cross of Christ always has to be at the center of everything we do. The cross of Christ isn't in the, at the center of your thoughts. What do you think is going to happen when someone comes against you with darkness and evil? When they use you and abuse you like they used and abused Jesus Christ. When they hang you up for all to see and humiliate you like they humiliated Jesus Christ. If the cross of Christ is not at the center of our thoughts, how do you think we're going to respond? How do you think we're going to act? What words do you think are going to come out of our mouth? You see, I'm sharing these words because on Sunday, while I was seeking direction from God, at 9 o'clock on Sunday morning, sitting in my office, He gave me these words, and I wasn't quite sure why He wanted me to go here. But by 12.45, when I left church, after a wonderful word about 50 days of blessing, I get a text where my heart was crushed. Like it could not be crushed, hurt, wounded. And immediately, immediately, if the cross of Christ was not at the center of my thoughts, that Jesus Christ placed there in the Holy Spirit at nine o'clock, placed in my heart, my words would have been different. My reaction would have been different, but the Holy Spirit said, Jeff, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgive them, because they are in the grasp of something they don't understand. I want you to know, church, that we've got to have a spirit of forgiveness in our life. If we want to be anything for God... We've got to be willing to say those same exact words. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I will not take this to heart. I will not take this personally. I will forgive them because you forgave me. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Why do you think Paul said... I've desired or I've determined to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Why do you think He said that? I've determined to know nothing in the midst of every 
letter that he ever wrote, uh, in the midst of every deep divine revelation that was ever given to him by God, every letter that he wrote to every New Testament church, he said, I've determined to know nothing. That none of that matters. I've determined to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Why did He say it? Because He said, I am the worst of sinners. Among all of you, I am the worst of sinners. This was Paul, the New Testament author, that we read and quote every single week. He determined to know nothing because he understood that without the cross of Jesus Christ, he would be a lost sinner. He understood that without the cross of Jesus Christ, without knowing the cross, without knowing the Christ as our crucified Savior, church, that the words that he would speak to this lost and dying world would be meaningless and empty. If we don't understand the crucified Christ, if we don't understand the cross that He hung on, then we can never be salt and we can never be light. Without understanding that, a spirit of grace and a spirit of mercy will never fill our mind, it will never fill our heart, and it will never fill our mouths. It's why the cross of Christ has to be central. None of that was in my notes, but I just, Holy Spirit told me to share it. So I hope you received it, church. Amen. We have to realize that this world is in the grasp of something that they cannot comprehend and understand. And the truth is, it's where a lot of us were, church. Amen. Lost in darkness, lost in sin, controlled by Satan, controlled by evil impulses, controlled by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. In the grasp of something, I've been there. In my early Christian life, in the grasp of something I could not understand. Paul, Paul said it. Why do I do the very thing that I hate? He could not understand the depravity that was lying deep within the soil of his soul. A born-again, spirit-filled man of God. Even he couldn't understand the, the darkness that... The desire to lurk and rule and reign in his heart. But he wasn't left in disappointment because you know as well, but thanks be to God, he said. It was a way out. And for us, thanks be to God, yes, the Holy Spirit, but I want to take you back. Thanks be to God that there is Calvary's cross. Thanks be to God that Jesus Christ, the precious Lamb of God, hung on Calvary's cross so that you and I could be forgiven of our sins. Amen. So that old things could pass away and all things could become new. The truth is, there is an evil that lurks in the hearts of men that's greater than we can ever know. Jeremiah 17.9 said, The heart is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. 
Who can know it? Who can know it, he said. So here's what I'm just trying to get you to understand, that that there is an evil, there is a darkness, there is a spiritual, supernatural force that, that will try to control us, that will try to steal, kill, and destroy us, church. But Christ came so that we might have life and life more abundantly. Please understand, if Jesus would have bypassed the cross... We wouldn't be saved. Jesus could not bypass the cross because it was at the cross where He had to take our sins. Where He had to take our guilt. Where He had to take our shame. Where He had to take our ugliness. Where He had to take our selfishness and disobedience and unrighteousness. Jesus had to go to the cross because our sins had to be conquered there. He went there so you and I would not have to, church. I hope you understand the power of Calvary's cross. The heart is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. Once again, that's what the cross represented. It represented the darkness and the depravity of our heart, church. It represented the worst in us all. All the evils of all mankind were wrapped up and represented on Calvary's cross. And yet, this is from where the spotless, like I said, sinless, innocent Lamb of God asked the Father to forgive us. Because the reality is we all need forgiveness. Amen? The words, Father, forgive them, in my opinion, were the most important words Christ could have spoken over our lives because the truth is and the fact is all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And without forgiveness, we can't be reunited or united with the Father. Without forgiveness, we can't have new life. Without forgiveness, we are destined for destruction. Jesus cried out for our forgiveness, church. Because according to Isaiah 53, 6, all of us have gone astray like sheep. Each one of us has turned to his own ways, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Please grasp that. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him, to fall on Calvary's cross, to fall on Jesus Christ. He caused our filth and he caused our corruption He caused our evil. He caused our unrighteousness to fall on Jesus Christ on Golgotha's hill. He took our sin on Himself, church, and carried it all the way to the skull, the Bible says. And while He was hanging there, covered in our pride, I wish I could have a visual for that. But please understand, here's here's what I want you to grasp. The ugliness of the crucifixion was the closest, how do I want to say this, the, the ugliness and the filthiness of the crucifixion was as close to a visual example that man could concoct that would look like our sin. 
It was that ugly. It was that corrupt. It was that vile. It was that filthy. It was that unclean. The cross represented the ugliness of your sin and my sin. It represented the ugliness and the filthiness of our pride and our selfishness and our unrighteousness and our disobedience, church. And the Bible says, and the Lord caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. And so while he was hanging there covered in our pride and covered in our greed, covered in our lies and our lust and our envy and our jealousy, while Jesus was hanging there covered in our iniquities and our sins, it's while he was hanging there, he asked the Father to forgive us. It's amazing to me, church. It's amazing to me that in the midst of all of that, he, he had the, the grace, because that's who he is. He had the love. He had the mercy to utter those three words, Father, forgive them. Please understand, he, Jesus didn't cry out, Father, forgive me. Jesus was innocent. Jesus was spotless. Pilate himself said, I find no fault in him. There was no sin in Jesus Christ. There was no error in Jesus Christ. There was no unrighteousness in Jesus Christ. There was nothing evil, nothing impure, nothing unclean in Jesus Christ, church. He was sinless and spotless. That's why Jesus didn't cry out, Father, forgive me. He didn't need forgiving. You and I did. Amen. He took our iniquity upon himself. And then he said, while he was covered in our sins, he took them from us and said, now, Father, forgive them because I've taken their sin and I've taken their iniquity. I've taken their judgment. I've taken their wrath. I've taken their punishment. Now that I am covered in their filth, Father, forgive them. Do you understand, church, what happened on Calvary's cross? He had to take our sins. He who was no sin, had no sin, became our sin so that we could become the righteousness of God, the Bible says. It's a process and it was all done on purpose. None of this was by mistake. Jesus laid down his life for us, church. And we need to understand the power of those words that he said. He prayed for our forgiveness. He said, Father, forgive them because we were guilty and not him. He prayed for our forgiveness because our hearts are desperately wicked. Amen. Not his. Our hearts are the ones filled with lust. Our hearts are the ones filled with greed. Our hearts are the ones filled with jealousy and envy and anger and bitterness and wrath. Our hearts are filled with these things called disobedience and unrighteousness. Amen. Please understand in the first three words spoken by Jesus from Calvary's cross, he doesn't pray for the good and the godly. He prays for his enemies. He prays for those individuals that are doing horrific things against him, church. He asks the Father to forgive those who said, crucify him. 
He cried out and asked the Father to forgive those who mocked Him and beat Him and abused Him, who opened up His side. He asked God to forgive those who beat Him with a rod, who shoved a a crown of thorns down upon His head. He asked the Father to forgive those who, who nailed Him to an old rugged cross. Father, forgive them. He didn't pray for the goodly and the godly. He prayed for us while we were yet sinners. And then He died for us. That's exactly what that means. And yet, while we were still sinners, He died for us. And not just some old death. He died on Calvary's cross. He said, Father, forgive them before He died. Jesus wasn't about to let Himself die without uttering those words. Please understand, there's only one individual that could have asked for our forgiveness. And it was Jesus Christ. No one else could have hung on that cross. No one, had, no one else had the right or the power or the authority to ask for our forgiveness. But Jesus did. And the very first words that He speaks to His Father, He asks for forgiveness. For three years, He spoke to men. For three years, He spoke to His disciples. For three years, He spoke to us and taught us and instructed us and encouraged us and corrected us. For three and a half years, He spoke to men. But here, hanging on Calvary's cross, the first three words that He speaks, He turns His direction away from you and me, and He turns them to the Father. And he says, Father, forgive them. And he says it out loud so you and I can hear it. He says it out loud because he wants us to understand the importance of forgiveness. He says it out loud because he wants you to know that he has forgiven you. He doesn't want there to be a doubt. You see, the devil wants you to doubt that God can forgive you. The devil wants you to doubt that your sins have been separated from you, that they've been washed away from you. The devil wants you to live in guilt and shame and condemnation. But to those who are in Christ Jesus, there is therefore no condemnation. Please understand, he speaks these words out loud on purpose because he wants them to be part of our understanding of who he is. And he wants us to understand The power of forgiveness, not just him forgiving us, but us forgiving others as well. Amen. And please understand, there's three things we need to understand here. And I'm running out of time, so I'm going to start wrapping this up. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So we have to understand the depths of his forgiveness towards us. There's nothing so nothing too vile. Nothing too filthy, nothing too unclean, nothing too unrighteous, nothing too dark that you and I can do or have done that God can't forgive. He forgave it all on Calvary's cross. And if the devil tells you anything less, understand the devil's a liar. God doesn't lie. When he speaks, he acts. When he promises, he fulfilled. And he fulfilled his promise of forgiveness with Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That's not a lie, church. That's a truth. That's a promise. And as long as we're willing to receive the work of Christ on Calvary's cross, that's one. Forgive them. Jesus asks for our forgiveness. 
forgive them, which teaches us to forgive others. That prayer has to be ours as well. I said it just a moment ago. Father, forgive them. I'm not going to get bitter. I'm not going to get resentful. I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to live under that choice that they made. Father, forgive them. You see, when you don't forgive, you live under a curse. When you don't forgive, you live under bondage. When you live in unforgiveness and you fail to forgive, the Bible, don't get mad at me, but the Bible says God can't forgive you if you're not forgiving someone else. So please grasp this. If you're holding someone in judgment for what they've done, you're living under God's judgment. God cannot and will not forgive you and me if we are standing in judgment over someone else. God, forgive us for not forgiving others. So we must say, Father, forgive them. But we also must learn to say, Father, forgive me. For I have sinned. Father, forgive me. Because my heart is filled with wickedness. Forgive me. Because my heart is filled with lust. Forgive me because my heart is filled with fornication. Forgive me because my heart is filled with jealousy and envy. And why do they get it and I don't get it? Why are you blessing them and not blessing me? Because you're envious. Because you're jealous. When you should be saying, Father, forgive me, for I have sinned. Forgive me because my heart, not their heart, my heart is deceitful above all else and is desperately wicked. And without your touch, without your mercy, without your grace, without your Holy Spirit, without your power, I'm nothing. Do you understand what I'm saying, church? Father, forgive me for I have sinned. Forgive me because I'm the one that needs forgiveness. As I close this out, I don't, I don't know if we have music tonight or not. God doesn't need it. But if you want to put on some music back there, you can do that because I'm going to close this out. Please understand the first words of Jesus on Calvary's cross. In my opinion, built a bridge between us and God. If Jesus would have never said, Father, forgive them, guess what? We could never come boldly before His throne room of grace so that we could find help in our time of need. But here's the reality. Adam entered into the world and he separated us from God. He tore us away from the promise. He tore us away from the garden. And there was a gap, a chasm between us and God. There's God and here's us. And right in the middle is Jesus Christ hanging on Calvary's cross. And there in that place of shame as He's covered in our sin and ugliness and unrighteousness and everything evil about us, He says, Father, forgive them. And immediately a bridge was built between us and God. And now because of that, I can come boldly into His throne room of grace without shame, without fear, without guilt, without condemnation, so I can find help in my time of need. So that I can find help from the hand of God in my life. You see, but here's what the devil wants. Oh, 
Lord, I don't want to rush. He wants you to stay right here. He wants you to live in guilt. He wants you to live in shame. He wants you to feel like you're unworthy. Guess what? You are unworthy and I'm unworthy. But Jesus Christ made me worthy because of Calvary's cross, because of His precious blood. And I don't come to God in my own worth. And I don't come to God in my own righteousness. I come to God wrapped in the righteousness of Jesus Christ because of the blood that was shed on Calvary's cross. And no matter what the devil tells me, I can come into the throne room of God's grace and say, Jesus, Abba, Father, Daddy, I need your help today. And guess what he does? He opens up His arm and He wraps them around you and He holds you close and He lets you lavish in His love. Behold what great love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called the children of God. The children of God. He's our Daddy. And the first three words that Jesus spoke from Calvary's cross allows us to come to Him. Don't stand afar off from God. Don't spend your life in guilt and shame allowing the devil to whisper, oh, he'll never forgive you of that. You'll never overcome that. You went too far. You did it too many times. Please let those words echo. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. How many of you know you're forgiven tonight? How many of you are thankful for forgiveness? Can you stand to your feet tonight?